My father was daddy to three little girls, each born two years apart. And for those of you who are wondering, I'm the youngest. And because we were born in stair-step fashion, mom and dad always had three little girls to chase after at the beach or the park or in the grocery store aisles. Stay close to me, honey. Don't talk to strangers. Everyone hold hands. Dad must have repeated those instructions a million times when we were little. But then those three little girls grew up to be three teenage girls. And his instructions got more and more elaborate. If we were going out with friends, it was, make sure you have a full tank of gas, even if we were just going five miles down the road to the movie theater. Or, stay together, don't go anywhere alone, even to the bathroom. As if teenage girls ever go to a public restroom alone. Now, if we were on a date with a new boy... The instructions were even more detailed. Back in the days before cell phones and just when public pay phones went from a dime to a quarter, anybody remember that? Okay. The instructions were, okay, sweetie, make sure you have a quarter hidden somewhere on you. Just in case you lose your purse, you could still call us. And then as he shook the hand of the young man we were going out with and looked him straight in the eye and said, drive safe, you've got precious cargo. Then he'd hug one of us and he'd whisper in our ear, honey, if you feel uncomfortable at all, even for a minute, don't hesitate to call us. We'll come get you anytime, anywhere. As positive and funny and fun-loving as my dad was, he loved his girls. And he wanted us to be prepared going out into the world. In today's passage, Jesus is giving a set of instructions to the 12 disciples as they get sent out into the world in his name. As Eric explored in last week's sermon, back in chapter 9, Jesus is looking out at the crowds and crowds of people who are following him. And he's suddenly just overwhelmed with compassion. And he says he saw the people harassed and helpless like a sheep without a shepherd. And knowing that the work to do with all of those crowds of people was far more than he could do in his time on earth, he commissions the 12 disciples and he empowers them to go out in his name, giving them as chapter 10, verse 1 tells us, authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to cure every disease and illness. But Jesus is careful to send them out prepared with not a strict itinerary, which I'm sure some of them would have appreciated, or with talking points. But instead, he gives them a clear and loving warning that being sent out in his name is not going to be a cakewalk. Yes, they're going to have authority in his name to do amazing things. Cure the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the leopards, cast out demons, verse 8 tells us. They're going out to change the world for the kingdom of God, for the good of all people. And they need to go out prepared. This is going to be hard, Jesus tells them. 
The world doesn't necessarily want to be changed, even when it needs to be changed, even when it must be changed, even when you're working on changing it for its own good to keep it from destroying itself. Still, the world will resist that change, and that resistance will be strong and swift, cunning and cutting. Jesus doesn't mince words. I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves, so be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of them, for they will hand you over to the councils, and they will flog you in their synagogues, and you will be dragged before governors and kings because of me. It's not going to be easy, he tells them, but I'll be with you. And I'll give you the words to speak when you're dragged in front of the authorities. In front of those who have turned on you. Who've turned you in. Who are persecuting you. And then at the beginning of today's passage that Phil and I just read. Jesus reminds the disciples that the powers in the world have called him Beelzebul, which is another word for Satan, and literally translated, it means Lord of the Flies. These powers that have called him Beelzebul, they don't want to give up their power. They like it right where it is, in their hot little hands. And so they react with bullying as the message puts it, with rejection, with pressure to sit down and shut up and stop rocking the boat. And if they treat Jesus, the teacher, like that, just imagine how they're going to treat his followers. Be prepared, he tells them. So in a real sense, coming up against hardship in the world is actually a good thing. It means that the disciples are becoming more like Jesus, They're becoming enough of a threat to the powers that be to draw attention. Yet, like Jesus, they're called not to retaliate against the bullying and rejection by fighting fire with fire, but by speaking the truth in love and then moving on. To go speak the truth in love to others who will hear it. Jesus tells them in verse 14, Not everyone's going to hear it. If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet as you leave that town. In other words, do what you can and move on. Their response is not your responsibility. You've done your responsibility by speaking out the truth in love, in my name. Where fear and control have dominated, you have brought love. You have offered a fresh new start to those who are stuck and imprisoned. And if those who are stuck and imprisoned don't want to be freed, move on. Jesus urges his followers not to be afraid of those who persecute or threaten them or bully them, who would try to hold back the kingdom of God at work. And he explains to them that everything that those powers of resistance are doing will eventually be brought out into the light. 
He explains in verses 26 and 27 that that truth is going to come out, both the truth of the powers in the world and the truth of who the disciples are. All of Jesus' disciples are in him. Nothing they can do to you can truly destroy you, Jesus reminds them, because you belong to me, body and soul. And even if they destroy your body, you are still mine. So yes, life is hard, Jesus is saying. There will be powerful resistance when you follow me in a world that doesn't know what it needs. You'll do the right thing, and then you'll find yourself getting in trouble for it. You'll offer love and forgiveness and find yourself being criticized for being weak. You'll speak up for the least of these, and those in power will say, you're just wasting your time because the people you feed today are going to be hungry tomorrow. And then in a few more verses, Jesus explains that following him won't just sometimes lead to trouble from the outside, but it might even lead to dissension within our own families. And he speaks these rather alarming words, starting with verse 34. Do not think that I've come to bring peace to the earth. I've not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I've come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. And one's foes will be members of one's own household. Whoever loves father or more than mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me isn't worthy of me. And whoever doesn't take up the cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Those who find their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake will find it. Well, as good church-going folk, whenever we hear Jesus say things like this, we probably want to say, wait, what? Where did the Prince of Peace go? This wasn't what I was expecting to hear. Where did this sword-talking rabble-rouser come from? Them sounds like fighting words. And they sort of are. But not fighting for fighting's sake. The world has plenty of that. Here, Jesus is reminding his disciples that in a culture where family loyalty was absolutely paramount, his call is a sword that cuts through old expectations and stifling loyalties that would keep anyone from following him. Just think how disruptive it probably was for Zebedee, the fisherman, when Jesus comes along and calls his sons, James and John, away from their fishing boats to follow him and become fishers of men and of women and of children and of Samaritans, and even later of those unclean, untouchable Gentiles. This was not what Zebedee had planned for his boys. In a time and a place where sons virtually always followed into the family business and never struck out on their own, you just didn't do it. That's not how life worked. But then Jesus came along. And changed all that. And after all, how many of us can say that we've ended up with the life we thought we had planned way back when? We worship a God who is full of surprises. 
including calling two brothers from Galilee to help change the world, regardless of what their families had already planned out for them. In this entire chapter, Jesus is absolutely crystal clear that he is not promising any of us a rose garden. His yoke is easy and his burden is light, as he says in chapter 11. But the powers that resist the movement of God are neither easy nor light. Those powers may show up in bullying, as the message puts it, in baseless criticism that comes from the outside. Or it can even show up in manipulation and expectations from within our own families. Jesus is brutally honest with us here. He trusts us enough not to pull his punches. The theme, life is hard, echoes over and over again in this passage. But there's another theme here, too. A little quieter, a little more subtle, but far more powerful. Life is hard. And you are mine. Hear these promises. When they hand you over, don't worry. Don't worry about what you are to speak or to say, because what you are to say will be given you at that time. Have no fear of them, for nothing is covered up that won't be uncovered. And then right in the center of the passage, hear this. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. And even the hairs of your head are counted. So do not be afraid. You are of far more value than many sparrows. Let's hear that last part again. Even the hairs of your head are all counted. So do not be afraid. You are of far more value than many sparrows. You are precious to God. You are valued beyond measure. You are mine. Jesus declares. And nothing that happens in this hard life can change that. Not even death. Later, after the crucifixion and resurrection proved that this is true, beyond a shadow of a doubt, the Apostle Paul echoed this in Romans 8 with this reassurance. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Life is hard, sisters and brothers. Some of us have faced searing loss. Some of us are walking through darkest valleys. 
Some of us love someone who is hurting and we can barely stand it. And yet, and still, a deeper and truer and wider reality holds us. The eternal, fundamental reality that we know in Christ Jesus. You are mine. Even the hairs of your head are all counted. So do not be afraid. You are of far more value than many sparrows. Life is hard. So let us be the precious, beloved, held sparrows that we are. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.